0: lord amen let's pray heavenly father this is your word and uh, let it not return void but instead let us change us Uh, let it uh, transform us and uh, be able to acknowledge who you are uh, in our lives and every day and we pray that uh, we could know more about what it means to serve in your kingdom pray these things in your son's name amen Good morning again. Uh, I'm sorry, I love March Madness, okay? I just love it. Uh, I've been kind of analyzing why do I love March Madness so much, basketball. Some of you guys could care less about college basketball, but I care. John cares back there. He loves March Madness too. Uh, You know, I love the idea that the underdog can win at any time. The idea that anyone can raise up in that tournament that's a small school and go ahead and beat someone that's big. It's just fun to see that. Uh, You know, one of my favorite movies that kind of depicts that idea is the movie Hoosiers, a basketball movie. And uh, this movie Hoosiers also follows an underdog, a small high school with only seven basketball players in Indiana in the 50s as they venture out uh, to try to win the state championship. And What's interesting about that is the odds are against them one because they're a small school competing against big schools another because they have a coach that has uh, a spotted history and other because their assistant coach is known as the town drunk. So all these things are going against them as this Husker team goes out and tries to take the state championship. And you know as I think about that the idea of going against troubles a team coming together To fight odds. What will be the character of that team? What will define the different individuals? Will that coach be able to overcome his spotted past? Will team be able to overcome that they're just small farm boys? Will this town drunk be able to get rid of this kind of blemish that people see upon him? To be able to be the assistant coach of this team? What will be the character of this team as they go forward? That is the same question today as Jesus starts his ministry. What is the character of Jesus' ministry? Of his kingdom? What will be the makeup of his team? (laughs) Will we be good enough to be on that team? What obstacles will we face? What things will we be called to do? What thing are we going after? Jesus is forming this team now. And he's giving an identity of what it means to live in the kingdom. And I want to just posit to you this morning is this. The characteristic of Jesus' ministry is this. To powerfully restore people to display the reign of his kingdom. The characteristic of Jesus' ministry is this. To powerfully restore people to display the reign of his kingdom. So if you didn't know, we're going through the book of Mark. Uh, I'm a kind of person that doesn't like to just skip around, but we're going to go through the whole thing. Uh, it's what I call expository preaching. And uh, we are going, we started in Mark last week, and we are going to go all the way 25 weeks until we get to Labor Day. That's 25 weeks to get to Labor Day. 25 days of summer, yes. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, and so 25 weeks to get to, to that place. And, you know, because I could spend two years in Mark, you could spend a long time in Mark, we're going to have big chunks, and we're going to read through this whole thing. I know Tim could job. It's a big section to read through this week. But we're going to read through the whole thing as a church. Now with that, uh, I'm not going to be able to get to all the details that one passage might have, okay? Uh, I I can't cover every little detail. Uh, But if you want detail, if you have questions about the passage that might not have been answered in the sermon, we have what we call community groups. And those three groups are also going to be studying the book of Mark. And so if you have further questions or anything like that we have three great leaders myself being one bill acker and scott tobias um those people are great and they will help you with any questions you might have about the passage that we read that week or went over if you have questions about community groups please um let us know but that's a great way uh to let this bible come alive Well, talking about that, let's go to the five scenes in this passage that identify and give the characteristics of what Jesus' ministry is about. The first scene being Jesus calling the disciples, the fishermen. Here's the thing, this isn't something new. I mean, there were teachers at that time. Rabbis, as Jesus was called, that would have disciples and would go around town and teach them and all those kind of things. There were other disciples and other rabbis. So Jesus is doing something that is in the tradition of Judaism at that time. Now, the thing is, there is a difference in how Jesus does his disciples versus how the tradition of Israel was at that time. And I'm going to point out a few of them to you. One is this, that if you wanted to be a disciple under a teacher, you would have to, from a young age, start learning the Torah and learning um, the Old Testament really, really well. And if you were good enough, you would then go to one of the rabbis and say, I would like to follow you. And if the rabbi thought you were good enough and you had enough knowledge and you had enough of whatever, whatever, to be able to make it, he would allow you to be a part of um, his teaching and be under him as a disciple. Now Jesus does something different, doesn't he? Instead of disciples coming to a teacher, Jesus goes to them and calls them. On top of that, he doesn't choose young men that have been steeped in the Old Testament the Torah. He calls fishermen. Men that would not usually be ones following rabbis and teachers at the time. Men that were in industry. Men that probably, people said, they don't have the intellectual capability to be able to do this. But Jesus goes, first of all, to people. And second of all, he goes to people that were not considered the right pedigree or resume to be a disciple. Next is this that uh, he doesn't ask them to follow the Torah. The rest of the rabbi teachers say, follow the Torah, follow the Old Testament, follow this aspect. But Jesus does not say that. Instead, he says something revolutionary. He says, follow me. Not follow this book, follow the Old Testament, follow the scriptures. Well, he does that. But he asks people to follow him and his person. And then the crazy thing we see, lastly, is these men just leave their fishing, they leave their occupation right there and then, and follow Jesus. Calling. Okay, Uh, how many of you, uh, this is a word that sometimes floats about in ministry, and maybe it floats about in work, that you say, "I I have a calling to a certain thing. I have a higher calling. I've I've been called to this. I've been called to that. Usually, when I hear the word calling, it's usually attached to a job or a vocation. So, when people tell me I have a calling to this, they're usually talking about a job specifically or a task. Now, I think Jesus is not calling people simply to a job, we see he is calling people to himself. Here's the thing. Uh, we live in a society where a job matters a lot. Now, what your title is or um, having this kind of job or this kind of thing, that is, is huge. I think I don't want to discriminate, but I think for men that is even bigger of a thing. And the thing is, when Jesus is talking about calling, he's saying it's not simply you're not called because you have a job. No, you're called because you follow me. Here's the thing. Our primary call is not to a job, not to a vocation. Our primary call is to a person, to Jesus Christ. That is what calling is about. Now, you might think, okay, well, what does that mean for me? How does that affect me? This is what I I think it is. Many times, this is true for me, No matter what job I was in, I could still be frustrated, even if it was the perfect job. I mean, I dreamed since I was young to have this certain job in Washington, D.C. And when I finally got the job, I found that I was not satisfied, Norman Dale, the coach of that uh, Huskers team in the movie Hoosiers, uh, he had his perfect job which was to coach this college team in Ithaca, New York, and he leads them to a championship. And it's the perfect job, and what happens we learn about Norman Dale is he was fired from his job because he punched one of his players. And then we realize that when he goes away from that, all of his history, and goes to this small high school team, that (laughs) He finally finds satisfaction not in that job he had in Ithaca, New York, but satisfaction because he identified who he really was. It wasn't winning. It was coaching players. It was loving other people. That was the important thing. I want to speak to many of you who might be frustrated in work, might feel like, "Will there ever be a job for me that is fitting?" That God says this to you: I will give you satisfaction in work or wherever it might be, when you finally find satisfaction in me." How did these fishermen have the power to leave their jobs? The power to go on and follow Jesus is because they saw that their primary call was ultimately to Jesus Christ. And that gave him the ability to do it. It wasn't based on their pedigree, their resume. Jesus calls us based on his love for us. That should give us encouragement and grace no matter what frustration we're facing in finding a job and a job we are in currently. That we can only find satisfaction when our primary call is not to a vocation but to a person, Jesus Christ. If you want to know more about those ideas, I encourage you to read a great book by Os Guinness. It's called The Call, and it speaks to those ideas and Jesus' idea of what calling truly is. Well, Jesus goes on, and uh, that's his first scene. He is a person that is restoring men that are fishermen to the idea of participating with him in the kingdom. So that's the first aspect. The second is this, he's teaching in the synagogue. And let me set the scene for you of what happens. Now, imagine, you are in a classroom, okay? Imagine you are watching a TED video online. You know, imagine you're in a sermon, okay? And uh, uh, you're watching these things and you hear from a teacher and you're saying, man, this guy is on a roll. This woman, she's on a roll and they speak with authority, And uh, I'm really tracking with what they're saying. Man, they actually mean what they're saying. And they actually can do something about it. And so that's the first thing you're observing. And then something crazy happens in the middle of the talk. Someone stands up. And starts shouting in loud voices about this person, and says, uh, "You know, you know, many of my personalities uh, say that you're this." And first of all, when someone says they have many personalities, you're like, okay, something's wrong with this person. Uh, and they're screaming in the middle of this talk, and then the lecturer says, "Be silent! Come, devil, come out!" And he starts shrieking, and th- this. Shaking, and the devil comes out of this person. Now, at that point in time, um, your idea of this person's teaching has elevated from, man, this guy is on a roll, to, man, this guy has got something. Okay? The level of authority has increased even more. How would you respond to that? Here's the thing. In this story, we see Jesus healing different people, we see him casting out demons. We see him doing a lot of these things. And it's not that he's going out purposefully in Mark to go heal people. Instead, he's going out to teach and people that want healing are coming to him. Many people have a problem with this idea of Jesus because he's just like all the other kind of rabbis and teachers of that time that just had a little bit of magic And the magic got so crazy and people thought it was so powerful that um, they finally believed that he was able to raise from the dead. And that's what people think. Jesus was just using magic to gather followers and people then start following him. But that is not the picture we here have of Jesus, of a magician. He's not a guy that's trying to do all these magical things so he gets this really large gathering of people, does he? Instead, he is healing people, he is casting out demons, he is doing these aspects of ministry to point to a greater reality. They are signs and wonders that point to his authority, his power over sin, his power over a broken world, his power over our problems. The reason Jesus silences so many of these people, whether it's devils or people that have been healed, the reason he silences them and says, don't go out and tell all those people, I think one of the reasons he does that is because what he is after is not after crowds. Instead, he's after people's hearts. He doesn't want large groups of people coming. Instead, he wants people to acknowledge, I, I have authority. I come from God. And I think the reason that he says the demon silent, even though the demon acknowledges rightly that he's the holy one of God, is because Jesus doesn't want demons confessing who he is. He wants people confessing who he is. I like YouTube. I'm sure you guys like it. I mean, it's fun to watch YouTube videos, okay? You know, when I'm bored, a YouTube video, okay? It's exciting. You know, I watch someone do something crazy. I'm like, "That man, that's sweet. And we live in an age where we watch these videos and watch people and say, man, that's cool. That's sweet. And that's what these people are doing here that are in the synagogue. Man, that is cool. That's sweet. But she's saying, I want more than you just saying, man, that's cool. That's sweet. I want you to say, you have authority over me. Jesus, you have authority over me. If you can cast out a demon, what could you do in my life? If you have authority over a broken world, what could you do in my brokenness? and what I am dealing with. Jesus wants people to respond to his authority. Not just to sit and say, Man, that's cool. That's sweet. And you see the next story on. You see someone respond to that. Simon's mother-in-law you know, it's just a quick story about Jesus going to Simon's house and the mother-in-law has a fever and Jesus, boom, heals her. And what does she do right away? She serves them. Now, you might you say, oh man, that is really, that is chauvinist, right? Man, now she goes and serves them. You know, that's what Jesus was after for the disciples the whole time. You know that? That they would serve. That they would wash feet. That they would be servants. In fact, it, earlier on we realized... Who serves Jesus? Angels do in the desert. So in fact, Jesus is not devaluating Simon's mother-in-law. He's elevating her. She responded rightly, didn't she? She saw God's authority and what He could do, and she responds by serving Jesus Christ. Do you respond in this way? It goes on. And you see Jesus... The crowds are coming. Many are coming to be healed by him. And in response, he goes out early in the morning and prays to the Lord. And Simon comes to him. Don't you realize all these people are coming? What are you going to do about this? And Jesus, you know, his ministry is picking up. You know, it's starting to get kind of, you know, some momentum to it. You know, and Simon, if he was in modern day vocabulary, what he was, man, Jesus, it's time to start tweeting about your ministry, okay? And everyone wants to know what's going on. You've got to get on Facebook and advertise. You know, you've got to set up a website for this. What are you doing? You're praying? Go! People are wanting you now. Jesus says something different, though, to Simon. He says, fame is fleeting, Simon. If I really want to change people, it's not going to be by crowds. It's going to be by taking time. It's not going to be through gimmicks. It's going to be through God's authority. It's not going to be simply by, you know, going to where the hot spot is. It's instead going where the need is and people will respond to my message. Whether it's Samaria, whether it's Capernaum, whether it's one of those Gentile strongholds, I'll even go there. And Jesus is also saying, if you really want to see change, it's not going to come through flashiness, but it's going to come through the ultimate authority, which is God the Father. And this is why I pray. Because if people really want to be transformed, they're going to be transformed by God. Is a busy time for me in the church life. I've got Facebook to get on, right? I've got a website to develop. I've got people I've got to contact. I've got lists of things to do as I start a new church. And on, you know, usually it's uh, Monday morning. I decide I'm going to take Wednesdays office instead of Mondays. Monday morning, All the emails that I've ignored because I've worked on uh, my sermon or whatever, they all are there in the inbox. All these things I have to respond to, all these things, what went wrong on Sunday, all these things are coming. Do you want to know the hardest, the hardest thing for me to do on Monday morning is to pray? Do you know why? Because I don't really believe that God is the one that's going to move this forward. He's going to be the one to respond to emails. He's going to be the one to transform the church. I am. But I got, The busyness is there. i got to do it. This is the time for me to get it done. But you know what God is saying to me in those moments? The greatest time to pray is when you are at your busiest. That is the time you need to just say, God, take this. Take what's in my life. Take what's going on. Control it. You have authority over it. You are the one that restores all things, not me. My encouragement to each of you, I know, I, 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 I don't know your lives personally, but I know you have busy times in life. I know the moment that is the crazy time in your week. That you're like, there is no way I could pray at this moment. I just can't do it. I don't have time. That is the time you need to pray. And say, God, I need you because you are the one that has authority over these issues, over these things. Please hear me. I am not adding a to-do list for you. I'm not trying to add something and say, oh, you need to pray. That's what you need to do. I'm adding a to-do so that your to-do list will become less stressful. I'm adding something to you so that you would say, God, you take my to-do list. You are in control. You are the one that can get these things done. That's what Jesus is saying. If Jesus himself, the Son of God, can say the one that's really going to work is God, can we not say the same thing? Was that conve- was, was that, do I sound too melodramatic when I say that? I hope not. I mean, that's, I mean I'm just dealing with myself. That's, that's hard for me. A pastor, who's, that's my professional job, right? I'm supposed to pray, right? But even me, I don't believe that's where the power comes at times. Moving on, we get this last picture of this man with leprosy coming to Jesus. Now, I want you to understand the, uh, the power of leprosy at this time. In 2 Kings, there's a story about um, the power of leprosy. Uh, a, a foreign king goes to an Israelite king and says, Will you heal me of leprosy? And uh, the Israelite king says in response, he's just torn up about this, am I God that I can heal leprosy? Am I God that I can heal this? That's craziness. Only God himself could heal such a harsh disease. And it was harsh. If you had leprosy, you were ostracized from the community, from your family, from everyone you knew. To be back in the community, you'd have to go to the priest and you'd have to present yourself that you were clean to be able to even come back. You couldn't worship at the temple. You couldn't be with other people. You would be sent off in a way. You couldn't be touched anymore because touching a person with leprosy, you, mean you might get it yourself. And what does Jesus do? Jesus reaches out. He touches this person and heals them. Here's another objection I hear sometimes that, you know, these miracles are just just crazy things that happened back then. Jesus is just suspending the natural world. He's bringing in this supernatural force to heal things in the world in this, in this kind of crazy way, like healing leprosy. I would hope, we're going to talk about a lot of miracles through the book of Mark. I want to get, if you're going to hear something I say this morning, please hear this. Jesus is not suspending the natural world when He heals people and does these miracles. Instead, He is restoring the natural world. What is the natural world? That there would be no sickness. That there would be no death. That there would be no sin. That's how God created this world, that it would be that way. Jesus has come in to set up a new kingdom, a kingdom that it was the way it was supposed to be, where this man would not have leprosy, where people would not have demon possession, where people would not die, but instead people would be restored to what they were supposed to be in the natural world. He is not suspending the natural world. He is bringing it back. You know, at the end of Hoosier, uh, uh, sorry, Hoosiers in this. I love Dennis Hopper too, um, because uh, he was messed up in real life, and he plays messed up people in movies too. And you just know that's just who he is, you know. And so here's this movie Shooter, okay? The town drunk. And what does the head coach do? He gives this guy that everyone says has no chance, and even says that no one has given him a chance, but I will. And he lets him be his assistant coach. He then leaves one of the games for him to coach the game, right? Shooter, and he dries up. You know, I I watched this movie again recently, and, you know, I didn't get it the first times I watched it. Why did the coach have Shooter become his assistant coach? Because he felt sorry for him. Because all of us can say, oh man, what love he has, that he would, he would be with Shooter and, and help him out. No, the reason that coach gives Shooter a chance is because he too saw himself in Shooter. I punched a kid. I was fired from coaches. I would never have a chance again. And someone gave me a chance to coach again. If I had this chance, how much more should I give this man that had, no one would give a chance on? I would give him the shot. He's not doing it out of, you know, oh, this is a great thing to do. Because he saw he needed that himself. I hope, please hear me. I hope when you see the story of the leper in the story, that you don't go say, oh man... Isn't Jesus amazing? He says, I show compassion and pity upon this leper who has been cursed with death, basically, because he's going to die from this soon. I'm showing pity on him. And you say, oh man, isn't that nice? But instead, you would not see that. You would see that you too are that leper. You too are cursed. You too have a curse of death upon you. And what did Jesus do? He reached out and He touched you. He healed you. And what did He do? He took on that leprosy, that death Himself on the cross, so that you might have life. I sure hope when you see people that are in need, People around you that you don't look upon them with sympathy and say, Oh man, out of sympathy, I'm gonna love them. Look at how poor their life is. But instead, you would look upon them and say, Man, look how poor my life is. I am dead. I am sick. I am cursed. But Jesus forgave me and bore with me and loved me. And if He could love me, a sinner, how much more can I love anyone else that might be in that spot? Shooter, your neighbor, your friend, whoever it might be. What are the characteristics? Man, I moved the podium. I sound like I'm like, oh, "Here, I'm opening myself up." What are the characteristics of Jesus ministry? He is restoring what is broken. He is restoring people that are broken. To show, I am putting a new kingdom in place. Look, worship, delight. I am a king that makes all things new. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we many times don't think you are the one that deserves authority that You are the one that restores our lives or can restore other people's lives. But You do. You have done it through the death on the cross and through Your resurrection to show us that even sickness, even death, will be gone because there will be a new world. Pray these things in Your Son's name. Amen. here it is. Here is all things new. Right here. His sacrifice for us. Him being cursed. Him dying so that we might have life. And that's why we celebrate the elements this morning. That we receive spiritual nourishment. We receive life through these things. And, you know, you might be saying, well, how do I get those things? How can I be able to receive that? This isn't a Presbyterian table. This isn't an Emmaus Road table. This is a table for those that say, if I want to be made new, and the only way I can be made new is through Christ, then come forward. Because this is what makes us new, this is what restores us. Jesus Christ. I encourage you, if you have kids that aren't taking communion, I'm going to ask that someone go get the junior church kids. We're going to call them forward too with as a family, and we'll pray for you. We're going to have people go as the rows come up, and you can take the elements. There's grape juice around the outside and wine in the middle, so the white grape juice, red wine. And you can take the elements, and then you can return back to your seat. And then we'll all partake in them together. Now these are glass communion cups, so don't be gentle with them. And when you're done, we'll put the um, communion stuff over there, and you can just put your glass um, back into uh, that in the kitchen area, okay? And I uh, soon I say to you, maybe you're not there. Maybe you're not at the place that say, "You know, I don't believe Jesus can make all things new. He, he cannot make me new. If you're not there, then don't partake. Wait, it's okay. This is a place where you can process and work through those issues. We want to be that kind of church. But there's a prayer for you. I encourage you, pray that prayer and uh, say, God, this is where I'm at. Let us prepare our hearts for the coming table in this responsive reading. The Lord be with you. you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord. With joy we praise you, gracious God, for you have created heaven and earth, made us in your image, and kept covenant with us, even when we fell into sin. We give you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, salvation. Therefore, we join our voices with all the saints and angels and the holy creation to proclaim the glory of your name. We join them in joyful praise, saying. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. In obedience to your command, we now celebrate the sacrament of your Son, gratefully receiving the gift of your grace. Amen. I'm going to call those four that are helping me serve to come forward, and uh, then I would ask these front rows to come, and then each row afterwards, um, come forward.